0: Namaste. Today, 24th November 2020, as we know, is regarded as the Siddhi day when Sri Krishna fused with the body of Sri Aurobindo, physically. That's how the mother describes that experience and we have spoken about it. When she was asked which Sri Krishna, Sri Aurobindo himself and Sri Krishna, they are both supreme who have incarnated upon earth as the avatar. So she said the personality of Sri Krishna who was here as the avatar. So the first thing that uh, became very obvious was that the avatars don't leave the earth until their work is done. And here because now Sri, Sri Krishna's work had to be now taken to the next level. And therefore he fused with the personality and the body of Sri Aurobindo to carry the work further. Sri has given a number of indications about it. One of the places where he speaks of Sri Krishna as his double. Another place where he says that, you know, it is Sri Krishna's work that we are carrying on in the ashram. So there are many such hints, multiple hints. Uh, So uh, it's very interesting when we look at Sri Krishna and dwell a little on him. Uh, He's really one of the most charming, fascinating Conceptions of God, realities of God, if I may put it, <laughs> that have ever appeared in the entire history of mankind. He has set a benchmark which is very difficult to cross. Uh, so, in one of his early writings, Shurbindra speaks of this. We have, uh, you know, Brahma created this world. After that, we don't see anybody worshipping Brahma because Brahma has done his job. Now he's watching. So, he's like, okay, I've done a job, good or bad, whatever it is. But it is given to Krishna and Shiva to carry the evolution. Now, among them, there is a very interesting, uh, you know, may use the word jugalbandi. Very beautifully they harmonize. They are one in two different modes of action. So, Shiva breaks the shields of ignorance. Therefore, he helps the evolution. That's why the mother at one place says he is the lord of transformation. Why? Because if we are clinging to the past, we are not ready for the new. I think today's message or 17th November message, Mother, it was not there in the message but it's there in the full passage that you talk about immortality but you continue to cling to the past and the present. So what does Shiva do? He breaks the molds of the past, he liberates us from ignorance which is the first step towards any evolutionary process. I mean a proper conscious evolution. Otherwise nature is carrying us through a long journey. So this is the role of Shiva. And therefore, when you look at Shiva's personality, it's very fascinating. Shiva's personality is like a beggar god. He is the supreme. But he lives like a mendicant. He wears a tiger skin. And in Mount Kailash, he is shown as bare-bodied. He has no needs, no demands, nothing. Because his purpose is to liberate us from all the transient, temporary trappings of the world. He loves the Bhashma of Chita. Because, you know, it's a symbol that, well, when your ego is dead, then you are ready to come to me. So, if you look at the line of avatars of Shiva, like Buddha himself, Shai Vekananda, they were avatars of Shiva. These are the two lines of avatars, the divine descents. One who have come pressing upon the Shiva aspect in front. So, they are all, they teach us how to get rid of ignorance. On the other hand, you have the line of avatar of Lord Vishnu. And if we go to the Bhagavad, then actually of Shri Krishna. Vishnu himself is a manifestation of Shri Krishna. So, the avatars which follow the line of Shri Krishna or Vishnu, whichever we want, we want to look at it, is those who carry us through the march of mankind. So, we see a very different aspect. In Shiva, there is a god who is ascetic of ascetics, who is tapaswi who has got rid of all attachments, everything, including the very body. But on the other hand, we have another avatar, the god of gods, Krishna, who lives in opulence and richness, who rides in the chariot, strikes in the spears, plays with mirth and laughter. So it's a unique conception of God. The God of the Semitic, um, if you look at very stern, the idea of God that comes to people's mind who is still carried on with the Semitic um, thought is, Oh God, he will punish us. Oh God, he's, you committed a sin. He is going to roast you in hell. That's the conception of God because he has driven us out of some heaven because we made a mistake. Sri Krishna sports with us. Ever seen a God who can laugh, who can play the whole relation? So all this on one side we have in India, the strict Guru Shishya Parampara. This is the Guru and this is the Shishya. Guru is on the dais and the Shishya is down below and he will receive a teaching and then he will walk the path. And suffer or progress depending on how faithfully he follows the teaching. What does Sri Krishna do? He doesn't sit on the dais. He comes down, becomes a child, holds your hand. See, Sri Krishna is always portrayed as a child or a youthful God. Ever you have seen image of Sri Krishna with, you know, serious looking, old age Krishna. (laughs) He was 108 it seems during Mahabharata. But still whenever you see Krishna, you imagine a youthful God. Because he is full of energies of progress. Even battle is a means for progress. So, with Sri Krishna, we see a complete, he breaks, he is the greatest of iconoclasts. He breaks all our conceptions of what God should be, must be. He is not an easy giver of boons like Shiva. But at the same time, he drives us towards the integrality of nature. So, first time we see again in Sri Krishna, an integrality of the divine. So, we see in the Gita... A beautiful synthesis of the three main strands of human nature, three main aspects of our nature, which is in psychology we call them as cognitive, cognitive and emotive. Actually, these are the three words we use. So, what is cognitive will, which determines actions? What is cognitive thought? And what is emotive? Your emotional being. Sri Krishna actually combines the three. If you read through the Gita, the one of the best things about Gita is that he combines the three. When you look at Shiva, he tells you to go beyond action. All the field, entire this, all this is ultimately temporary. What does Shri Krishna tells us? He doesn't talk of that freedom. He says freedom in action. How to arrive at freedom in action? He says obey the divine impulsion. If you follow the divine will, you will have freedom even in action. You don't have to leave the world. You don't have to go anywhere. This is a great teaching that I think it is the teaching of the future. And that's why the mother says that, uh, Shobinndo says speaks about essays on the Gita that uh, it will yet liberate humanity, and the mother says yes um, and with the new edition, the second edition, which you know with Sri Aurobindo's writings on the Gita, his translation actually it 's not just a translation but his whole experience flowing through the action has become much more prominent, so what is that teaching? That wherever you can be, at one place Mother summarizes the teaching of Sri Aurobindo, came to teach us then that one need not leave the world to find God, that we need not have limited beliefs to enter into relations with God. Even the atheist and the agnostic is God hiding himself. That's what Sri Krishna declares. Whatever way men approach to me, by whatever faith. Now this power of this sloka, Ashurabindu writes in one of his aphorisms. What does he write? Even atheist and agnostic, when they are seeking and they declare that, you know, there is no God. Still they are in love with Krishna. Can we ever imagine such a wide, vast Catholic teaching? That, because why? Because they are seeking. It's it's not about a blind belief, but they're seeking, you seek. Doesn't matter, you seek me as a great Nihil, he will come before us as a Nihil. But still that Nihil will be Krishna wearing the mask of Nihil. So this thought that the divine is so vast and the God of the Gita is imminent in every atom of existence, you can offer him a leaf, a drop of water, everything he will accept. It's not like... Don't do this, do this. Sometimes people, you know, talk about this even in the context of the Samadhi. Oh, this is ritual, this is religion. They have gone back into the past because leave aside Mother and though they have not understood what they have said. If you go back to Shri Krishna, Shri Krishna says, Patram Pushpam Phalam Toyam, you offer a leaf, a flower, and I receive it. Wherever, it doesn't matter. You may be anywhere in the world. So, she says that Sri came to teach us that the divine is everywhere and in everything. And if we do not find him, it is because we have not taken the care to find him. So, this is a very vast teaching. The other aspect, the third aspect that we see in Sri Krishna, which is very wonderful… People often compare Veda, Vedanta and Sri Krishna and they even go on to say that Shri Krishna is essence of the Upanishad. That what is truth in the Upanishad has been uh, milked by Shri Krishna and offered to us. But it's not as simple as that. There is something which Sri Mendo himself declares which Shri Krishna released upon earth and that is true bhakti and devotion. He says before that... There was meditation and worship. So you have ritualistic worship in the Vedas or the Vedic times. Now, of course, deep inside what the rishis felt, we are not talking about that. But, Sri Krishna came to show to men that there is a shorter approach to God. And what is that shorter approach? Never before you find such a tremendous power that someone is saying, Sarva dharman parityajya mamekam sharanam raja aham toa sarva pape bhyo mokshishyami masucha. Surrender to God and he will take care of everything Even he makes it so clear Yoga, shem, bahamyam I'll take care of all your daily needs, everything So here is a God who is promising to us everything In return, all that he wants is Surrender completely to him So if we really look at Sri Krishna's life and works It is enchanting Such a power I mean that's what we expect from divine We don't expect divine to come and tell us Oh thou sinner, sit there Oh thou, good deeds. That Chitragupti suits. Yamaraj can do it. But for the divine, we don't expect that. And here is Sri Krishna releasing such an abundance of grace that doesn't matter. Even he goes on to say that even I am the one who casts people into Adam gati when they act in an asuric way. But when they touch rock bottom and they take my name, I release them. And they should be regarded as saints. Both aspects are there simultaneously. Now, what is this aspect? This many people find it that how can this be? How can God cast you down? It is to hasten our evolution. And when we look at uh, from Sri you know, one of his aphorisms where he says, sin is a trick and a disguise of Krishna. Can we imagine that God even comes to us in the disguise of temptation, in the disguise of lure? It's so vast that I think humanity will take hundred years just to comprehend what Sri Krishna has said. Mother and Sri Aurobindo go far beyond that. The conception of God, I mean experience of course, but start with the conception of God which is integral. That's what shubindu says in the synthesis. You must start with an integral conception of God. So the mother was asked, what is an integral conception of God? She says, you all make an idea of what God is and what God is not. What is divine and what is undivine. So it starts with God is out there. Divine is beyond all this, art. And what is all this? This is all undivine. Then she says, as you proceed, you take one aspect and second aspect, till you reach a point where even the divine and the undivine fuse. And then she says, it is needed for action, but in reality. So, it is such a vast conception, which is amazing. Now, all these are the basic fundamentals of Sri yoga. If you read through Sri yoga, these are the fundamentals. Some people are trying to turn them also into, you know, punishing and this, that. But actually, these are the foundation stones of yoga, which we see repeatedly in Sri and the mother's letters. Sometimes when they assume a seemingly stern voice, it's for what? It's like a, you know, very benevolent and loving dad telling you, see, look here, you know, this, this is going to hurt you. But he's not saying when you get hurt, I won't be there. Look at the difference. Child, don't do it. You know, it'll hurt you. But at the same time, mother says, okay, you're hurt. Okay, I'm there. (laughs) Look at the wonder. And we see such a beautiful combination of Shri Krishna and then to Sri Shri Krishna taught the highest truth of love and surrender. Before that, you have all these philosophies and people often talk about the heydays of India when there used to be debates and discussions. These were when India was fallen. Because if you look at the heydays of India, it was direct spiritual experience. They were least bothered about debates and discussions. Debates and discussions came when we lost the capacity to experience and we were all living in the mind. God is or God is not, he is this or that, he is impersonal, personal. By then, India was on the decline. But if you look at the teaching of Sri Krishna, which is so far ahead. He says, surrender, love, these are the crown. And even when he talks about the Jnana Yoga, where you detach yourself from nature, it is the beginning. And then through all kinds of works, you discover God. Now, if you look at the basic principles of Sri Aurobindo's Yoga, the very fact it starts, take home point is integral yoga. You see that works, love, Meditation, knowledge, they are all included as the yoga of the Gita. There is a difference, but we will come to that. And then you see about surrender and love who personified in the age of Krishna? It was Radha. And with regard to Mother and who personified it? The mother. The difference is that during the time of the Bhagavat, Radha is not much into the forefront. But with Mother and shabinda said now we have had a krushhetra <laughs> we are going to have two world wars now you be in the forefront you lead man so this is the other aspect then one place the mother says that Sri krishna came to teach the world that men can be free you how to live freely and with delight so we have two um, kinds of world views with regard to shri krishna one world view is that world is a playfield of god what is that playfield gopas and gopis if you can surrender to god it's a playfield if you can see the imminent divine and have complete faith in him then world is a playfield all is his play if you cannot do it then there is the battlefield so the divine will manifest before you as i am death the de- time the destroyer now this is a, another very wonderful thing in, about the gita that the same divine who is playing the flute is the same divine who is destroying a whole nation and civilization and army, standing on the battlefield as time the destroyer? And then when you see with Shyambindo, you see absolutely very very similar parallels. Leave aside the outer life. Actually, even outer life, somebody has not really gone into the details because Shyambindo came prominent during the freedom struggle. So the Shyambindo people know of his during the freedom struggle, and there he was already on the battlefield of Kurushetra. He had to take it. Step further from there, and then of course the First World War, the Second World War, where it went beyond Kurukshetra. Because the battle which had to be fought was now not just about India. India's battle, Shri Krishna fought, saved India through Mahabharata. Now it was a question of humanity. So we see Shivarbindo sitting on his divine chariot, which is Shivarbindo's room, and conducting the battle, not lifting a single arm. Exactly like Sri Krishna, Shivarbindo doesn't lift a single arm. And yet the world becomes his instrument. There are his instruments, there are forces on the opposite side And he is using both for the sake of evolution Exactly like Shri Krishna But what, what was Sri Aurobindo as a child like? If you read through his stories even in prison life And you read about some of the anecdotes are there You will feel the same youthful, mirthful God It is unfortunate that that aspect of Sri Aurobindo hardly comes out But wherever you read a little bit and the way even you know he would laugh and he would be with people at one place it was uh, somebody said oh shrivindo he used to be rollicking in laughter then shrivindo said not rollicking laughter yes <laughs> can you imagine that people are playing cards and shrivindo is sitting there and uh, enjoying and you know reading a novel by the side not sitting in some cave and meditating and then he keeps it aside in half an hour and someone asks oh you have read it yes i have read it do you remember it, yes? Ask me, ask. And randomly one opens a page and Sri could recite the whole thing from top to bottom. But the question here is not that we should read a novel or anything like that. The what Shurabindu is showing us that while being in the world, while doing everything, yet you can be divine, you can grow into the divine. Even when there is prison, even when you are uh, facing death and the gallows of death, you can still laugh. He was in Baroda State Service. Look, he goes to Nanital. How he, you know, writes about the Maharaja? Very humorously, one incidents. So, he goes with the Maharaja and he writes in his letter, you know, Maharaja has brought me to, with him to Nanital to Kashmir. But, you know, he is all the time lost in his books of uh, accounts and all these things, you know, for his administration. He says, so, you know, he, there is no fun in being with him, not no fun in being, but something to that effect that he is not interested in going out and seeing. Then he says, well, to each his own paradise. That for the Maharaja, even if he goes there, he is going to sit with his books. That is his idea of paradise. And then you see that the play field, on one side there is the Kurushetra, where Shurabindu is active, dynamically engaged with the world. That is the kurukshetra of the of Sri Krishna. But what was mother doing? Now you see the whole thing is reversed. There he wanted this world to be a playfield. So gops and gopis and surrendered, but humanity is not ready. So you have kurukshetra After which your Shri Krishna departs. After some twelve years or so eighteen years, I may be mistaken about the years. Because even in his own cool there is fighting. Now, what Shurbinndo does, there is the battlefield going on, but they have shown by their own life and example, world can be a play field. What else is ashram, but the play field of the mother? She organized a play field. Have you ever ever imagined? people sometimes can't understand what kind of ashram is it? People are going to play tennis, you ask them in the evening, what activity you are going. I'm going to play tennis. Are you here for yoga or to play tennis? Well I, that's it. Have you ever imagined? Sometimes we don't understand, oh, where are you going? I am going for swimming. Swimming, what has that got to do with yoga? Oh, we have to prepare the body, you know, for... (laughs) Whether you mean it or not, it's a different thing. Every activity is represented and she said that the purpose of ashram was to teach people how to live normally and yet be free. Normally. You won't have sadhus who suddenly saying, I am going to give you a boon and you know the boon comes. Not like that. Because it's a collective march of mankind. Exactly again, the third, uh, fourth aspect of Shri Krishna is, it's not about individual ev- evolution alone. It is about the collective evolution. Shri Krishna is as concerned about the collective evolution. So, he says that, why should a man who is free act? So, he gives this example of the Jivan Mukta and why he acts? Always to bring God forces to struggling nature. And there he says, Lok Sangraharth to carry the march of civilization forward. And second thing he says, Sarvabhuta Hiterata. He is ever engaged in the good of all creatures. And that's exactly what we find in the mother's life exemplified. Whether it was a dog, a cat, a donkey, human beings come much later, tree. Sarvabhuta Hiterata can mean all this. Sarvabhuta Hiterata is not just my nation and my little humanity. Literally, she has shown by example what it means to be sarvabhuti Ratha. Collective march of mankind, they are taking it one step forward. So, where does now, what was left which was not yet done? Shorabindu says that Sri Krishna came, it was a jump time. He was, to be in the future, he came early. Maybe God felt, you know, um, mankind is suffering too much, let me come. I'll teach them the way of freedom and delight. But man is not ready because he asks hundred questions. Are you really God? First show me some miracles, some, all these things. Then I will believe you are God. So because man is not ready, there is something else which is required. And that's what Sri Aurobindo does. And he says that to bring down love and beauty and ananda is precisely the goal of creation and of our yoga. This is what he, the goal of yoga is to bring down love and delight, ananda in creation. But we have found it from our experience that this cannot be unless the base of truth is there. Because we know Sri Krishna brought down love and delight, freedom and delight and what happened subsequently? It's a sad story. The lesser said the better it is. But Shurubhindo brings now, creates the base of truth. He says, yes, we want that free play of the divine. But this free play cannot be as long as mankind is in Dense ignorance, unless the base is ready, unless falsehood is wiped out, unless unconsciousness, inconscient, they are all gone or converted, then only it is possible. So they, so they come to carry the work of Shri Krishna forward. So it is very beautiful um, synchronization between Shri Bindu and Sri Krishna that we see. But Sri Aurobindo also comes embodying something of Shiva and people would often feel it in him. Because he had to change the entire civilization was to die and a completely new aspect had to come. So, he embodies also something of Shiva. It is not mentioned but in Krishna also we find it. Uh, It's wonderful to read the Gita and it's, uh, you know, very good to uh, read. Though they are wonderful, I mean, every sloka is so powerful. But just see the context where Gita is given. It is nothing else but dance of Shiva. There is death all around Can we ever imagine that Soon after Arjuna had heard the Gita What he must have experienced And what the Pandavas and Kauravas There was death and destruction And ruin and slaughter And weeping and tears Tears of blood What they would have felt When they would have seen Bhishma fall down On this side also That side also Such hero Abhibanyo All of them Heroic warriors They represented the peak of an age collapsed. What was it but Shiva? That's why it is said that Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra was Kali wearing the mask of Krishna. So same thing we see in Shiva but uh, in Sri But he is so identified with Kali but neither mother and Sri wanted that method. Because it's too disastrous. So we see that part of Shiva in him where he wants human beings to be freed from ignorance. Why? Because, not because we begin to practice withdrawing from life. This is a very subtle balance. Only Shiva withdraw from life. Only Sri Krishna withdraw and delight. That's how we see that he teaches first detachment and then re-engaging with life. And That's exactly what Sri teaching is re-engage with life in a completely new way. So, what else is left? So, two things were left undone. One was that the base had to be ready. Sri Krishna brings that base. He brings truth. Second aspect is that Radha is behind. He, the mother, comes in the forefront because it's a new creation. And the third aspect is what Sri Krishna doesn't touch but he hints about it. And that he doesn't touch is about the instrumental nature. Sri Krishna only passingly says that, well, you have to still work within the range of the three gunas and the instrument will remain what they are. He doesn't speak much about it. He hints that those who strive to conquer death and old age are the greatest of yogins, But that's all. But he talks about still the gunas will be there, but you will not be touched by it. Shraubindu speaks about transformation of the gunas and of the instrumental nature. So he carries that work right up to its utmost perfection. With Sri Krishna, you can be inwardly free, but engage with your works just as they are. To take an example, Shraubindu gives it in Synthesis of Yoga. A doctor practicing Sri Krishna's Yoga of the Gita. What will he do? He will remember and offer... He will inwardly be free from the results, whether a patient gives him money or doesn't give money, whether he earns a name, doesn't earn a name. It's the same to him. He will know that his work is nothing but a trust from God. He will offer to God and he'll do it. But what will he do? The action will be as per standard textbook of medicine. This is the yoga of the Gita. Shravinda's yoga? No. You can't be doing works of Ignorance. When you are inwardly free, you must bring a greater truth into medicine. There must be a better way to treat patients, to understand patients. Same thing with human relationship. With Sri Krishna, practice detachment and you know that's it. Love, turn your love to God like Mirabai. That's it. But Sure no, here too you can find God. Even in the smallest and lowest activities, you can discover God. Now there is a difference. Same with whether it's engineering, running a guest house or painting, drawing, everything. Music, there has to be a new way of doing, a divine way of doing. Not just inwardly I will be in a very good state, but outwardly my action will be within the range of the three gunas and based on the current understanding of things. So we see that mother starts bringing in new things, new music, new ways of painting, new forms of expression. Even about language She speaks of a new language Now this is because They have come to create a You know Carry that work forward And of course The transformation of instruments Because if mind, body and life Remain the same uh, The work will suffer But very importantly And as a last thing Sri Krishna We see that he wanted to establish An ideal kingdom Just like Lord Rama Christ dreams of it When he says Kingdom of God You know Lord Rama tried to establish a Ramaraja, Rajya, but it remained as a conception. It never really actualized, whatever people may talk now and everything, but few factors were common and that was equality, unity, fraternity, which people now say that it started with French Revolution. But we see in Lord Rama an equality and unity where from the fallen, the outcast, the animal kind all kinds of humanity the rakshasa everybody he carries together we see something similar in krishna but what is what is the difference between this equality and the equality as we hear today that this equality which shurbindoshi krishna and lord rama has come to teach There has to be a basis and that is dharma. You can't violate dharma and practice equality. You can't do that. By its nature, then things will collapse. So, by dharma is meant that there are some fundamental truths. If you violate those principles like equality and freedom. Now, freedom doesn't mean that I say that, okay, I am God, I will do anything. That is not allowed because nobody is only God alone. Everybody is God. So, if you violate those principles which are fundamental foundations of Sanatana Dharma, freedom, equality cannot be established. So therefore, be wants first the truth consciousness. Then only it is possible to eventually have a creation where there is freedom and delight. Of course, the mother's observation later on, she said, I um, created a space where people could learn to live freely and normally, but Again, human beings, we hardly understand what freedom is. So, she says it means humanity will need some blows, but because of this new consciousness, it will become much, much easier. So, this is where we see that similar work, ah, final work, that a collective place where the yoga can be practiced. In Sri Krishna's time, we see it is Dwarka. Dwarka we know only as a city of opulence, but Dwarka is not just a city of opulence. Dwarka is a place where Shri Krishna is there, so we can imagine what it would be. And there are beautiful incidents of Sri Krishna in Dwarka, which point out to a possibility of a new creation which is forcing. But human beings are not ready. So, what does Shri Krishna do? He drowns Dwarka. Now, see the irony and the beauty of it. Where does he drown Dwarka? In the western coast of India. And where does Dwarka come up again? In the eastern coast of India. And that Dwarka is Auroville. So you see the beauty of such a... uh, It's so clear that it is Sri Krishna's work which Shura is carrying on to its perfection. And what is that work? To base our life on truth. Not truth as we understand. Our idea of truth is my little truth. What is your truth? I am doctor. This is not truth. This is falsehood. (laughs) So what is truth? Truth is to follow the divine will which is very difficult for human nature because we want to follow our self-will even when we are... Self-will can take many forms. It can take the form of a virtuous man. Arjuna, I will not slay. And then Sri Aurobindo says, he who will not slay when God commands does a much greater damage to the world. So it's very difficult for human beings to understand what it means to follow divine will. It needs such a tremendous surrender. But at the same time, what is it that she wants? She says, to hasten the rule of divine love upon earth. So ultimately, all this is to prepare us for the advent of divine love and delight upon earth. So we see that she brought the power of divine love, which is delight modified. Delight is the base of creation. Love is the savior of creation. So when Sri Krishna brings delight and of course love, But we see that the mother, but love in Shri Krishna is within. You are drawn to that love and sweetness and charm. But mother brings this love in the forefront, delight is behind. Change yourself, you will experience delight. So there is such a wonderful symphony and harmony between Sri and Shri Krishna that their lives can be literally compared. And uh, as of course somebody has compared it even outwardly, but I am not going into it. That you know, Sri Krishna was born in prison, always haunted. Sriorbindu also, from childhood, he was always haunted. But that is about external life. What concerns us is the inner truth that the two have brought. So, everyone, youthful God Sri Krishna, now Bindu wants us to remain always young. And now, young is to strive constantly towards the future. To know that we are on a path of never-ending perfection. That's another beautiful thing about Sri Krishna and Sri Aurobindo. They don't keep a fixed goal like that. You see, Shiva has a fixed goal. Moksha. What is Sri Krishna's goal? At the end of it, he says, you surrender yourself to me. Wherever I am there, you are there, there will be victory. <laughs> this is, <laughs> what will I get? You will be free, inwardly. Surrender yourself to me and engage in action. Similarly we see Mother and Perfection Perfection is never An end point So they have opened The doors to Endless progress And if we look at it Like that We too will be like Shri Krishna And what Shirobindo Would want us to be Eternal child Playing with the eternal In the garden of the eternal And then this whole world Will become a Wonderful playfield Of the Lord We will read this poem And then we will Close if Any question Then we can so, we know that um, Sri Krishna, what role he played in Shurubindu's sadhana, and all that we have already spoken. So, I have deliberately, otherwise, it would be a whole series of talks on Shri Krishna and Shurubindu, but only some aspects we have touched. And uh, Shurubindu said that the role that he played, he is the one who came to him as the master of guide of yoga, who literally showed him the work he has to do. So that is, of course, we have spoken about it at length in different places. But today I thought we'll read this poem. So there are three poems on Krishna. One is The Dance of Krishna and Kali. Well, four poems we can say. Another is One Self where he says that Krishna and Shiva are a single God. And there he describes what does Krishna seek in us? He seeks for sweetness and laughter and joy. See, Krishna gave an example that God can laugh. And Shurvindho has been known as the smiling master. In fact, he goes on to say, God who cannot laugh would have never created this universe. Mother also speaks of that, mother's laughter. There is a very beautiful um, little um, something that she wrote to Tara, uh, Taradi, that to laugh with the divine is to be his friend. So, what it means to laugh, someone asks this question, what it means to love with the divine? Very simple. When do you laugh? When you are full of trust, when you are full of faith in the divine, then you laugh. You laugh at everything. That's why she spoke of Champaglaji. Champaglaj smile always, smile in difficulties, smile in struggles, smile in suffering, smile always. So when can we laugh with the Lord? When we completely trust him. And that is the sign of friendship with the divine. So Sri Krishna also gave this role model. He can become a playmate. He can become a paramour. Ever heard of God as paramour? It's a sin. And Sri says that the world has been created in such a way so that the divine is our paramour. And what do we owe to the world? We owe it because of duty, something. But secretly our soul is always in love with the divine beloved. So imagine God is paramour, blasphemy. Isn't it? Blasphemy laws don't apply with Krishna. Playmate. What kind of playmate? Shorabindu uses the word trick and mischief. Can God be mischievous? Yes, he can be. Can he trick? Yes, he can trick us. Why? Because, well, he is full of delight. <laughs> there is, of course, a purpose in his tricks and mischief. That I've used this story of Gagri Tutna several times. His mischief is royal mischief. It is to train us towards perfection, and then a God who can laugh, and a God who can become our comrade on the playfield, battlefield of life, a God who is willing to drive our chariot while we get the crown. Who is the hero of the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Arjuna? But who is the one who was the ask Arjuna and say, "Shri Krishna, you are the one." No, no, no. You take the credit. So we see the divine as hero, as the leader, as the fosterer, nurturer, trickster, playmate, paramour, friend. Can, I mean, in today's time, sometimes I get very appalled when I see only, you know, uh, relation between the higher beings and lower is guru, gurus. People give lectures on who is sadguru, param guru. And the other day I was uh, hearing, Jagad Guru, this is something other than Guru also. He is also mother, father, friend, beloved, playmate, trickster. We have forgotten all that. That's why we have become so serious. And Sri Krishna teaches us to laugh, to smile and be free. And we see Sri Aurobindo and the mother, how the mother has laughed with everybody. so many stories, which if we start narrating, there will be no end. <laughs> we will cross tomorrow. And we see with Sivarbindo what lovely letters bringing out an aspect. And all this he was doing when he was on the battlefield. His letters to Niruddha, look at when he has written? 30s, early 40s, when he was fighting a grim battle with the inconscient. And then he writes his letters in the same vein of humor to Dilip Kumar Roy, to Niruddha, to many others. That state of humor, laughter. So, all these are very unique aspects. So, let me close with, before I read the poem, where we began with, that Sri Krishna set the highest benchmark for anybody who can be called as God in a human form. And the only one who crossed it is Mother and Shurabindo. Because they set a much higher benchmark. They took it forward. They said, why be only free and delight inside? In every activity, will bring God. This is something very new and unique. It's not about just inner freedom. Medicine, practice differently. Cooking, practice differently. Eating, practice differently. Sleep, differently. It's not that you are inwardly united. Even the quality and whatever we are doing, play. Play differently. Not just about inner state, but your body, your cells, your actions, reactions. Everything should be. Something new and different. So, the highest benchmark he laid, and it's in the history of spiritual history, you can see. Take up any mystic worth his name. All the rishis and yogis and munis put together, and take one Krishna, he'll, (laughs) difficult to cross. But somebody does cross it, because he's none else but Krishna himself. Assuming the new age. So, people often say, you know, Sriorbindo knew all about Sri Krishna. Did Sri Krishna knew about Sriorbindo? Yes, of course. Doesn't he say, Sambhavami Yuge Yuge? Why we forgot it? He came as Sriorbindo. We are still looking. Sriorbindo gives this hint in one of his letters. He says, you know, people expect that if Christ comes again, he will be born in Jerusalem, he will speak Hebrew. No, he will not. Second coming of Christ. How he will come? If Buddha comes again, will he speak Pali? And say, where is that text? Dhammapada, please show me. Dhammapada is dated for him. It's okay, useful for some. But if that's what he has come to give, why would he come at all? It is already given. Why would Sri Krishna come and only tell us that, okay, okay, read the Gita and everything is there. Yes, it is there. Still read the Gita. But he will rewrite the Gita. Which is what Sri Aurobindo has done. And take us beyond the Gita Towards things which he knew But he did not What he will do? He blew the flute on the Yamuna So Yamuna enjoys And the Gopas and Gopis enjoy And they dance and they laugh Maddened by the song of the flute What will Sri do? Consistent with the age There are many who will try to play the flute But he will do something which nobody else can do And that is he wrote Savitri What is Savitri? Literally, there is a line in Savitri. Flutings of the infinite. Flutings of the infinite. There is no rhythm meter in the way we understand. Of course, we may try to put it in slots. But the thing is same, same effect it has. Just like when Gop and Gopis got mad, hearing the flute. He said, but still hearing the flute, going all the way to Yamuna, so he brought the flute to us, our doorsteps. Just read Savitri. So reading is very difficult. We don't know English. Okay. Mother said, okay, I'll make it easy for you. I will recite Savitri. Just hear it. That you can do. All that you need is a tape recorder. So what else is Savitri but the flute of Sri Krishna? And of course, one Gita which Sri Krishna wrote in short period of time, Ashwabindar wrote 35 volumes. (laughs) He said, there is lot which I need to expand. Sorry, folks, you guys were too busy. (laughs) Sorry, Arjuna, I had limited time, two hours, you know. Morning, six o'clock, you asked me to be on the battlefield. Nine o'clock, they were going to blow the conch. So, I had two hours. So, I compressed everything. But I'll come. Rest, you guys are not ready. So, when he comes, that… Gita expands Into the unwritten chapters of the Gita The unspoken truths Where Sri Krishna knocks and returns back I am the unmanifest And I am the manifest The yogin who conquers Old age and death and disease Is the highest He knocks at the gates and then comes back Chaturvan He says I, am, I have created Chaturvan What does he say in the end? What is he saying? He is giving a hint a day will come when all these swadharma, sabhava set aside and just come and surrender to me and I will deliver you. You see, Sri Krishna's life is full of uh, wit even in his life. So very often people speak about Chaturvan, which you know, he says, I have established it. Means Brahmin, Kshatriya, Vaishya Shudra. Right? Who was Sri Krishna? He said, Yadukul <laughs> Yadavas Sri sure those caste, if you want to put it, Kaistas, we who were regarded as, you know, they in their life showed what really it means to have, even regardless of where you are born, you can arrive at. People don't see the life, they just catch it outwardly. And so later on, he knew what human beings will do it and then one day will come when they have to be taught the greatest lesson. So he hints at it, but doesn't elaborate it. Right now, you need sin and grief. So, I have created sin is a trick of Krishna to conceal himself, veil himself. He comes to us in the mask of the terror. That also Shurvinda says. But behind the mask of terror, there is the beloved. If you are terrified, he will come closer to you. See? Recognize me, Sir, your corona, please. I'm afraid. No, 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 see me again. Sir, death. No, see carefully. Then the day you say, Oh you, God, you have come to me wearing the mask of death. He'll say, There it goes. This is Sri Aurobindo and Sri Krishna. So I'll read this little poem, sonnet Krishna. At last I find a meaning of soul's birth. Into this universe, terrible and sweet. Sri Krishna said, this universe is anityam asukham, terrible. Yes, it is terrible, but it's not only terrible. In the life divine, he says, these people who say that world is so bad, it's full of pain, suffering. Buddhist theory starts with that. Four cardinal truths of Buddha. First is, this world is dukkham. You see, it's not only dukkham, come on. (laughs) There's a lot of sukham also in it. It is dukkham and sukham. And if you really look at the world, most of it, 90%, 95% is Sukham. And because we presume it to be Sukham, Dukh strikes to us as an anomaly. Because we don't expect it in the world. But don't make a philosophy of Dukham. Because there is delight running as a sap. And human beings have a penchant for of plucking delight even from forbidden soil. <laughs> Shubhanda puts in Savitri. Bliss grows on forbidden soil. You said this, don't go there. Human beings, they'll find joys, find ways and means because delight is the sap. You can't stop it. If you try to block delight, it's like blocking life. So it's not only Dukkham. It is this universe, terrible and sweet. The two are two faces of the same beloved. So what is the meaning of soul's birth? Into this universe, terrible and sweet, I who have felt the hungry... Heart of earth aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet. It's such a wonderful line, powerful line. First feel the hungry heart of earth. What does it mean? What is the hunger of the earth? We think we are hungry for food, we are hungry for a friend, we are hungry for power, we are hungry for position. No, not fit for Krishna. What is the hunger inside earth? It is hunger of the finite for the infinite. We want infinite sweetness, infinite love, infinite beauty, infinite bliss, infinite peace. Meaning thereby it should be never-ending, constant pouring. This is the hunger and it cannot satiate till it reaches Krishna's feet. Now imagine, if God made a world where everybody was satisfied with that little hunger, it will never reach there. So that's why there is a terrible aspect of this creation. So that you keep on seeking, keep on seeking, keep on seeking. And where will this seeking end? At Krishna's feet. When you find those feet, it is the same. You call Krishna's feet, mother's feet. You find it and you will find satiation. Because it's hungry for the infinite. Only then will the hunger stop. Then it will take another form. She she was asked that what does one who finds the divine does? What will he want to do? He says, to manifest the divine. That's an another story. <laughs> so it will go on. Because there is a joy in constantly moving forward. So infinite. Aspiring beyond heaven. Those who are satisfied with heaven, we want a paradise where there is a god Indra sitting out there, who according to our merit, send us to a place where, which is full of uh, royalties. That is paradise of the life gods. Come back after that. But that's not what we want. Imagine. At his feet, there is heaven and much more. Aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet, I have seen the beauty of immortal eyes. All eyes are death bound. But see, eyes are very interesting. It's very interesting nowadays people are hidden in the mask now, only thing you can see is eye. <laughs> Try recognizing people from the eyes. It's very interesting. You will miss most of the time. Yes, unless you are intimate. You will miss many times. Unless you are accustomed to seeing the eyes. What do we see from the eye? The eyes are the only organ in the human being through which your soul can shine forth. Otherwise, it's hidden. And that's why eyes, mother has said, are the windows of the soul. Even when she would look at somebody, she would go through the eye into the soul. So, the soul is immortal. And when you see the eyes that are immortal eyes, deathless eyes. Sri Krishna we speak about, you know, sure window, the mother, oh, they have left the body. They are immortal eyes, deathless eyes. And heard the passion of the lovers float. It's a passion that never dies. What is this talk about subduing passion? We are talking about divine passion. Heard the passion of the lover's flute and known a deathless ecstasy surprise. All other ecstasies die. They are momentary. But here is a deathless ecstasy. One who has felt even for a moment the embrace of the divine is marked out. And sorrow in my heart forever mute. On that one moment one can lead lifetimes. Because one has felt the touch and the ecstasy of the divine beloved. This is what we are actually aspiring for. We are aspiring for Krishna's feet, where all the joys reach their grand culmination. From there they all come. Even heaven's riches are because of Krishna. But, when you reach those feet, you, have, no, you are fully satisfied. We are looking for that deathless ecstasy which comes by the embrace of the divine. So we are trying to embrace everybody. So that one day, <laughs> you will say, Hogaya? Okay, fine. Now you have my embrace. And that's where deathless ecstasy surprise. And sorrow in my heart forever mute. Then there is no place for sorrow. Who can ever suffer after that? Even the Gita says and Shurabindu confirms, he says finally the completely getting rid of all sense of evil, sin, tendency, lower nature comes only to somebody who has become Param one who has seen the Lord. Before that, without the vision of the Supreme, there will be things. So some people take it, they say, oh, then it's impossible. That's a very wrong way to look at it. The other way is then we should strive for that. That's why you see bhakta's, what do they want? A glimpse of the Lord. People wonder, why are you wanting a glimpse of the Lord? What is this kind of aspiration? Because a bhakta knows a glimpse of the Lord is enough to do everything. Just one glimpse. There are such fantastic stories of that. And then he describes the state when we draw near to him. How do we know we are drawing near the Lord? Nearer and nearer now the music draws. Life shudders with a strange felicity. The measure of suffering is the degree of separation we have from divine. As <laughs> Simple. <laughs> suffering is hell. We may be very close to the divine, outwardly and yet suffer. That means I am inwardly separated. You may be very far from the divine, outwardly and yet feel the joy that means you are close to the divine so nearer and nearer the music draws life shudders with a strange felicity why it is strange because it is not none of those felicities that we ever experience from anything upon earth or in heaven and then look at this wonderful description all nature every day you know i think yesterday somebody had posted this beautiful picture of all the trees and this thing and there is a little sun in the background And so spontaneously this came that nature is offering everything to the Lord. Where is the Lord? He is so far, sun is billions of miles away. Yet, because he is moved by nature, he comes so close that it looks he is caught up between the trees. Isn't it? Look at the image, so beautiful it is. You just feel he is right there. So nearer and nearer. Now the music draws, life shudders with a strange felicity. All nature is a wide, enamored pause, hoping her Lord to touch, to clasp, to be. Three stages. You are seeking the divine and everything is going on. You know, bhajan mandali is going on. Sometimes you will see those dignified dances. Disco in the name of bhajans. Everybody is crazily... Somebody should announce, Krishna has come. And it's worth seeing what will happen. <laughs> Isn't it? Krishna has come. Oh Krishna, where is he? Where is he? Are you right there. What are you doing? Stop dancing, you will find him. <laughs> so what happens to nature? Nature spontaneously begins to grow peaceful and calm. The sign that God is near you is... That the restlessness will become much less And if there is too much restlessness in nature Means you are drawing close You are wanting that Because nature is wanting the Lord But we don't know that it is the Lord we are seeking But the moment loss draws near Something in nature feels He is around So what it becomes? Quiet But what kind of quietude? Not the quietude before death Wide Enamoured Oh, he is near, he is near. This quiet is not the hush before death. There is a quietude before death also. But this quietude is full of a happy anticipation. There is a joy within it, but the joy is still in the background. Peace is in front. So all nature is a wide, enamored pause. So first is that peace. Then, hoping her Lord to touch. You will feel the touches. Suddenly a vision, a glimpse, a dream. Something will come from far. Somebody gives you something. Touched by the mother. What is it? Touch. The next is, he clasps you. You feel suddenly surrounded by that wonderful presence all around. And then, it's no more vision and touch and clasp, but you become like the Lord. You become one with the Lord. She is seen through his eyes. That's how Shivna describes in Savitri, that the stamp of the integral Godhead That when one is completely identified, then through the eyes of the human being, God is seen. Like, you know, Shobindra and the mother. He is seen through his eyes. The stamp of the integral Godhead seen. So that is the stage when one becomes one with Krishna. In Essays on the Gita, Shobindra says that, and that's a very important aspect of it. So he says that there is a story of Kuts uh, and Indra. So they start after the war between Devasur, they start chatting on the That time WhatsApp was probably not there. So Indra and Kuts are chatting. They don't use the word chatting, but it's chatting only, generally. So by the time they reach the gates of heaven, when the gates open, they don't know who is Kuts and who is Indra. They become one. Only Sachi can differentiate. This is the original Indra, this is the transformed Kuts. Srivindu quotes this story in Essence on the Gita and gives the same example of Arjuna and Krishna. When you fight the great battle... Not caring about what will happen to you. Arjuna didn't say, Give me a guarantee, you are God, it seems, huh? I've just seen your vision. After that, Arjuna never asks you once, Do you guarantee that I'll survive? Do you guarantee that my son will be saved? Nothing. That is the kind of consciousness that is ready to receive the Lord. Complete surrender. He says, You have told me I'll fight, whatever happens. He doesn't question you are saying Nishkam Karma, but what will happen to me? What if you know I lose the battle? It doesn't ask that. So, when we live with that state, we begin to be transformed in the image of the Lord. It is called sadharmagati. Our nature becomes one with the Lord. Salokya, samipya, sadharma. So, same thing we see when we read Savitri. Many times, what happens? We are coming in contact with the mother's consciousness. Prayers and meditation. People think it's to understand. No. It's not about understanding or not understanding. It's beautiful. In fact, you will understand when something in us begins to automatically get in sync. Who can understand a poet's mind? Who is in sync with what is in the poet's mind? There is no other way of really understanding. Can't do it with analysis. You will make mistakes. But as the mind grows one with the mind... Lexicon of the infinite mind. Something of that will begin to trigger. So, mind will start getting transformed. Heart, simply because you are getting in contact with that consciousness. So, next stage, after wide enamored pauses, peace is hoping nature becomes quiet. Then it feels the touch. It feels the clasp of God. And then it feels the oneness with the divine, to be. And then Shobindo says, For this one moment lived the ages past. The world now throbs fulfilled in me at last. The last line changes the meaning or completes it. If you say, For this one moment lives the ages past, then first line is, Aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet. Means you find the feet, and that's the end of the journey. World is left behind. But the last line fulfills it. Look at it. At last I find a meaning of soul's birth, then the fourth line is aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet. So you know you go beyond the world. But that's not the purpose. Purpose is the world now throbs fulfilled in me at last. World means all the forces of nature, all creation. That's why it is nature which wants everything that becomes fulfilled not annulled. That's why Sri uses the word in life divine, divine fulfilment. To be, to fulfil, to complete. Everything is half, half, half. So we don't want to just uh, take it that this is all half and therefore I go and merge with Krishna. No, fulfilment through oneness with Krishna. So I'll just read this poem quickly and then we'll stop. Krishna. At last I find a meaning of soul's birth, into this universe terrible and sweet, I who have felt the hungry heart of earth aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet, I have seen the beauty of immortal eyes and heard the passion of the lovers float and known a deathless ecstasy's surprise and sorrow in my heart forever mute. Surprise. Why this ecstasy surprise? Because we don't know where he will seize us. And Shubinder says that one in synthesis, in the beginning, maybe we are not looking for the lover, but the lover may seize us by surprise. You are eating Golgapas on the road in discussing and suddenly you feel something happens to you or you see something and your life changes. You walk into a bookshop, you are casually drifting around and you see a place and enter. That's why he he loves to surprise us When we least expect We have made all our plans Because we are unhappy with life And he says here I am So All plans collapse Oh you are there (laughs) Plans over This is called ecstasy surprise It's not something that I am sitting in meditation Doing chanting of om for twelve times For half an hour and then God will come he may find me too stiff and too serious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, that's how <laughs> Shivinde said, no, when I went to a place full of holy men, I got bored. It's, uh, then God took me to his <laughs> prison and that became my his interesting ground. Look at his uh, eternal trickster's ways. We will tell the whole world of his ways and his cunning. On the battlefield, he suddenly reveals to Arjuna. So, Arjuna tells him, you, you didn't tell me about you all these years. No, no, I just, you know, this is the right place. Had I told you earlier, you would have not taken me seriously. You would have said, oh, he's saying things, how can he be God? You would have quoted me all the shastras that you're, as you are going to quote now. But now you know that time is running out, so you won't, you know. <laughs> now when I say, I am the lord of the tempest and mountains… I am the lord of freedom and pride. You will say, yes, yes, please. See, both these poems, Invitation and Who, are around that period. Who is all about Krishna fulfilling himself. Invitation is all about Shiva. Both coming together. So, he he is ecstasy surprise. In the dance of death, suddenly we feel the deathless ecstasy surprise. Nearer and nearer, now the music draws. Life shudders with a strange felicity. All nature is a wide. Enamored, paused, hoping her lot to touch, to clasp, to be. For this one moment lived the ages past. The world now throbs fulfilled in me at last. Savitri, when death is slain and in place of death, the one who hides himself in the mask of death, he is shown. And Shravindu writes, looking at him, all suffering was an easy price. Now we don't understand it. When Shavindhu writes in one of his aphorisms, Krishna is a cruel torturer. And she says, What does it mean? He says, if you are conscious of the play, then it's a delightful play. But when you are not conscious, you are on this side and ignorance, then you feel it's a cruel play. He looks like a torturer, but actually he all the time he loves. All he loves, all he moves, all are his, all are he. Namaste.